Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the One Shot Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. Today, we are with Nicole Donnelly. I recently met Nicole on social media platform Clubhouse. She's an amazing entrepreneur, but also a former professional athlete in the snowboarding arena. She's got an incredible story where she lived in her car for a number of years before building a multi-million dollar company as well. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode with Nicole Donnelly. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. And today we have a very special guest. Her name's Nicole Donnelly, who is a former big air pro snowboarder. And that there scares me to think of how um, incredible that would be to, to do. So we're going to talk to her a bit about that. But she's a social media expert. She's an incredible entrepreneur. And she's actually, the stories that I love to hear is these stories where you come from nothing and build something massive. And she's built a multi-million dollar business after spending time living in a car. So we're going to dive into that as well. So welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Craig. Great. Yeah. Um, I I to start by asking you to share your story. You can take a few minutes and just dive into that because there's a little bit to unpackage there um, from my introduction. I don't do it justice, but to be a pro athlete um, in that snowboarding space as well as the challenges that you must have faced as well along your journey to success to building an incredible business. So if you can unpackage your story, that would be great. I will. I'll give you the the uh, short version, and you can ask me any questions to fill in the blanks. Um, I was born in Southern California in the desert, uh, in the Mojave Desert. Um, and we lived on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere in a mobile home. And my mom was a mail carrier and my dad worked at a community college. And we grew up literally playing in the dirt. And <laughs> So from a young age, I was making things. I wanted to be an inventor. And when I was probably six or seven years old, I invented a licorice dispenser, which was this like uh, strawberry basket with some saran wrap and some licorice in it that you could dispense. And I would put it in the neighbor's mailboxes and living on the dirt road. It was scary to walk up and down the street because the neighbors had dogs and sometimes the big dogs would come and chase you and German shepherds and, you know. It, it wasn't like a friendly little neighborhood. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to be an inventor and I was always making things. And fast forward, we moved to Utah. My dad got a job there and we lived in a neighborhood with kids and other people. And the idea of this like upward mobility was, you know, subconsciously planted because I could see other people being successful. But then at the time, I, my mom went back to school and my dad eventually did too. And so, you know, we didn't have a lot in our household. And I still, I felt like I needed to go to college. So after university or after high school, I went to, to our local university and then, uh, you know, studied history, German and photography. I took a snowboarding class 
And every Sunday I'd go up to the hill and go snowboarding. And I had done gymnastics as a kid and I just loved snowboarding. And as soon as I had that first season with lessons, um, I started flipping off of rocks. Like when you jump off of rocks and I do a flip or anything that looked like I could, I would flip off of it. And so then when I finished university, I decided that I wanted to snowboard full time. So I moved up to Park City. I had a job for about a month and as a live-in nanny, then they decided they didn't want a nanny and they tried to do it themselves. And so I didn't have a job and I was living in an expensive town. So so I started living in my Honda Civic. It was a two-door coupe and, you know, sofa surfing too. And I rode 142 days that season. And I started going to competitions my first year. I did big air, border cross, half pipe, slope style. I even did like Red Bull big air, (laughs) like insane stuff. And I won, like it wasn't a lot of money back in the day. So I won uh, snowboards and skateboards and things that didn't pay the bills, you know? And so then I was looking for sponsors in the next season. So I went to Mount Hood during the summertime and rode there. And, um, I got, so I got some sponsors. I got Oakley and ride snowboards and cliff bar, and then was c- competing some more. And I moved to Washington state. Cause I tried to move to Whistler. Whistler BC is like Mecca for snowboarders and all the best border cross racers came from there that were in North America and living in my car with, uh, no real skills. I just couldn't get a job there. So moved to Mount Baker and ended up living in my car that season again. But I upgraded, I got a Vita van and put a mattress in the back, took the seats out and that was my home. <laughs> and, you know, with a comfy mattress, it was such an upgrade. It was so nice. And, you know, it, I spent another couple summers snowboarding too. And I had my eye on the X Games, which for us was, there was no uh, snowboarding in the Olympics at the time. So that was like the be all end all. And the year that I wanted to go to the X Games the first time, they did not have qualifying events because there wasn't enough snow. And so I sent, this was before cell phones and easy to get video. And I made a video and sent it to the organizer and I got in. Mm. And so like the, there's a theme of persistence everywhere in my life. Like no matter what happens, there's not enough snow to have a competition to qualify for a big competition. So I'm still going to qualify, you know? Um, And I used my mom's airline miles and I ended up, you know, getting there by a plane, a friend driving me and a train to get to Vermont. And uh, I broke my leg on the third jump out of three. And I broke my leg, my tib fib at the ankle. And then he had nine, nine and a half weeks, non-weight bearing. I sat there and read a lot of books. I ordered books off of eBay, just piles of them, natural medicine, astrology, like all the things. And um, then the next season, so I, I wrote a little bit in the summer and the next season when I went to ride, I just stopped And there was fresh snow and I decided I wanted to ride fresh snow and not compete anymore. So I started teaching and then I got to be the most requested instructor at our ski school. I taught pipe and park camps and had so much fun. 
And I love that. And then one off season, I met my daughter's dad. I got pregnant and, you know, was off the hill. I mean, I rode till I was about six months pregnant. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And also when you were talking about um, your journey, one of the things that I picked up to was around what I call being re- resourcefulness, you know, so for you, you were sleeping in a car, you were, you know, traveling around, but you're still determined to follow your passion and your sporting career and you, you found yourself some sponsors, you know, so going outside of the box to try and, um, I guess, fund your passion, you know, requires a bit of resourcefulness. Do you want to talk about, you know, was there a, a, an art or was it just that you were super talented and they were knocking on your door or, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. No, they were not knocking on my door. Not at all. Especially back then. Uh, females like we didn't, I didn't never got money. I got free gear and cliff bar was fantastic because they gave me bars, which I could eat, <laughs> you know, I can't eat gear. And really when it comes down to it, if you have food and shelter, um, you know, that's, that's pretty much all you need. And I made the choice of entry fees or rent. So I had a job and I chose to spend my money on entry fees for these competitions and the travel expenses. And at the time, some of the guys were getting paid. The Europeans were getting a lot of money. They, the Euros were so sponsored and they had the best gear and they'd have airlines sponsoring them. But in the States, we weren't there yet. I don't even think we are there with winter sports the way that even Canada is. Um, it's just, it's not as important, it seems. Um, But yeah, the most money I ever got was for my place at the X Games. I was like $214. Right. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. So the resourcefulness and getting the sponsors was sending video, being persistent, finding out who were the right people to do it. And um, just asking and asking and asking. Nobody was beating down my door. Nobody cared what the lady snowboarders were doing at the time. Not really. Mm. Yeah, and just want to dive a little bit deeper into that because it brings up a really good point around um, persistence and contacts and, you know, never giving up. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you would have been looking for sponsors and getting a hundred no's to one yes yeah. and so on like that. So um, was there a strategy that you used? You mentioned um, back when you were in your profession, you know, there was barely smartphones or anything like that. So um, what did you do uh, that somebody could practically go, that's a great idea, to be able to get in front of the gatekeeper to make a decision? Was it just a numbers game? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, show up. Show up. Just show up. In business too, I will do things. I got into the biggest companies that you could possibly imagine just by booking a flight to New York City and saying, hey, I'm in town. Can I stop by? And I got into Scholastic that way. I got into, there's a big food company that I was trying to get into. And I just showed up with the X Games. I didn't have a place to stay. When I got there, I went to the organizer, to the head guy, and I went to his, to him and I was like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> and I don't have a place to stay, but I made it here. And so he let me stay in his condo. There was another girl and another guy staying there. So I shared a room with this other girl and uh, Caroline. She ended up giving me a ride back to New York 
Um, but yeah, I just showed up mm. and, you know, was persistent and with everything, that's how it's been. Yeah. And I've heard you. And the reason I'm asking this question, because I ha actually have heard you talking about, you know, relationships and contacts. And I've sort of built, you know, 20 years of business around relationships, contacts. And, um, you know, last year for me, there was a lot of speaking gigs and that that I normally do that got called off. And I, um, you know, just rang about a dozen people that I've known for 20 years and just put my name back in the ring and said, hey, look, I'm ready to get back out in the field there. But you've mentioned before, I may have heard you on Clubhouse, could be somewhere that, you know, you could nearly connect somebody with anyone in the world. Um, do you want to tell the audience a bit about that, how you do that, but also, um, yeah, what uh, I'd love to know who you can connect people with. <laughs> Well, I've connected people with Richard Branson and Simon Sinek and, you know, like all your favorites. And I'm happy to connect people with others. And I developed the network in my first business. You know, I was selling my product in 85 countries and I went, I was in the entrepreneurs organization. And so I went to international events and I got to know people and I did a lot of the smaller learning events. So I really got to know people more intimately and just keeping those relationships because from snowboarding, I didn't really think about it. I didn't think about my network and what they say about your network is your net worth. Well, it absolutely is. And so there's so many people that I could reach out to. And I was on, so from Clubhouse, you know, Grant Cardone is on there and his people. And I wanted to talk to them about this project I'm working on. And so I message, I direct message, I show up in their rooms, I raise my hand, I get on stage. And um, even if I don't get to talk to them, I was direct messaging. And so it took a couple of weeks and I got a message back, you know, and the message was like, oh, well, we're doing this other really cool thing, you know, just wait, you'll see it. And so it wasn't a no, it was like, maybe not now. Um, and I just need to follow up with that. But I, I don't think that anybody's better than anybody else or unreachable or untouchable. We're all humans. And so I'm, I'm okay to reach out to people. Every once in a while, I have to check myself because I'll get afraid to talk to somebody, which is weird, you know? <laughs> um, but I'll just reach out anyways. I send them a message if I'm afraid to make a phone call. But if I get a phone number, I can make a phone call. And I go to LinkedIn and I also will see who I know that they know. And I'm so connected to so many people where I'm just one or two people away, you know, and if I really want to reach somebody, then I'll reach out to my network and say, oh, I see you're connected to this person. I want to meet them. How well do you know them? Um, and then, you know, just making friends with people. So there is a speaker that I really, really love. And I offered to give her a ride to the airport after the event. And she said she already had a ride, but she would take me to lunch. Mm. And so I got to have lunch with her and she is connected to an amazing network, but it's just like the, those opportunities, you know, like I was going to give her a ride and I've done that with other speakers too, because, you know, they probably have a car taking them to the airport or something, but you know, sometimes they'll take a ride. Yeah, now that's powerful. And I built my podcast last year prior to Clubhouse where I'd interviewed, you know, everyone that you know that's a big 
person that runs big rooms, like Rob Moore was a guest on my show last year. Gerard Adams was a guest on my show last year. Daniel Priestley, Michael Lane, they were already guests on my show before Clubhouse. Um, so, you know, that. but exactly what you were saying, I sort of like networked, I shared my story, I shared my vision, what I was doing, I showed that, you know, I wasn't a time waster, I, you know, just... Um, just reached out to people and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. I've just launched a book um, inspiring people about their one shot at life. This is my story. This is my message. And, um, yeah, just said I've interviewed this person, this person, this person. And then they said, well, you know, they're probably thinking, well, if you've interviewed them, you know, maybe they're not going to, like, just jump on any old podcast. So I sort of, like, started um, – yeah, and I ended, ended up interviewing 100 people. And this year, since Clubhouse started, I've interviewed like 40, um, you know, amazing wow. people just off Clubhouse. Um, would have been a whole lot easier to get to Rob and Daniel and all of that, you know, through that process, you know, through Clubhouse. But, um, you know, I did it the old-fashioned way. So I sort of felt like my superpower got taken away when Clubhouse. <laughs> but yeah, I was doing exactly the same thing. So it's great to hear exactly what you do is like, the perfect way to network so i want to ask a question around going from zero to hero so like a situation from sleeping in car into building a multi-million dollar business you know some keys to success around that i think uh, if you unpackage that that'll be a breakthrough for many people well it's the same grit determination that i had for snowboarding that I had for making parents' lives better. So when my daughter was little, she had diaper rash really bad. So I'd cut off my snowboard socks. I pulled them up over her knees. It protected her knees when she was crawling and she could have a naked bum. So you can imagine this is adorable. And I was making these homemade baby legs and I sold around a hundred pairs in my first two weeks. I just kept them in my diaper bag. I went to play groups, the YMCA. And people were buying them. And then I got them on a store for diaper-free parenting and started selling them that way. And I mean, in a year, we sold over a million dollars of a $12 $12 product. Wow. Yeah. And we just, we grew so fast. And every day, every person that was in the company, we were committed to making parents' lives better. Like if you have this product, you have less wasted time on diapers and all of that, you know, and diaper changes are easier. Potty training is easier. Plus they were super cute. So we started out in these niches that they were necessities. And then we went out to fashion and um, we gave them away to celebrities. And so all the people having babies at the time, like Angelina Jolie were photographed with our product on. And Gwen Stefani's kids when they were little and Siri Cruz when she was little, all of these people. So in, you know, the magazines at the grocery store, sometimes we'd make a cover, but we were inside, we'd buy them every week and we were inside so many magazines and, you know, we just, it's such a fun product. I wore them on my arms all the time. And when I would go to events, I won Seattle's 40 under 40. Uh, when I was 30 and I went up to the stage and I had an armful of baby legs and I gave one to the guy, shook his hand or he was reaching to shake my hand. I gave him product for free. And then I gave like threw them out in the audience. And so 
my, like something that brought me joy was giving them for free. So we gave them for free to children's hospitals, Ronald McDonald houses. And like the last year I was there before I sold the company, we gave away 38,000 pairs. And so we made all these parents' lives easier. You know, a lot of them were, you know, had kids in the hospital. And so whether it's warmth on their arms or legs, it made their children more comfortable you know, and enjoy their situation more. And when you can improve the lives, not just the person you're selling to, but their children and their families, their friends, then you've got such a sticky relationship. Mm. So it's, it's the bigger mission and it's improving people's lives, like from their entire environment. Mm. So you've sold that business and now you're running a business in social media. Um, um, yeah, I've had a marketing company for 11 years and thanks to Clubhouse, I'm redoing it and turning it into a marketing concierge. And I've been fractional CMO for different companies over the last few years. And um, I am doing that. I'm working with a nonprofit and a couple of other companies. And I really, really enjoy it when we can have that mission like of making parents' lives easier or, you know, making some sort of an impact because then like that, that motivates me to get out there every day and like be persistent when that vision is really clear. Mm. And I have to ask this question. I ask everyone that I've met on Clubhouse, what do you see? What, why do you love Clubhouse? I love Clubhouse because I can so easily connect with people and I can contribute. So I might sit in a room for two hours and listen but when that question comes up that I know I'm the only person that's going to answer it in the way that, you know, the asker needs, I will answer the question. Um, and I love being able to do that. I like going in and contributing in all sorts of rooms. I lead guided meditations. I answer social media questions, you know, branding things, marketing, consumer products, um, things that I have experience in and, uh, you can really tell people's authenticity in their voice and you can tell when they're full of it, you know? <laughs> and so you can just tell so quickly and you can just hop out of the rooms where there's that BS going on and you can hop into a room where people are really authentically connecting. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and at the end of every episode, I always have a section where I ask the guests the same questions. Um, I call it the rapid fire question section. They don't have rapid fire answers. Um, so what book, you said you read a lot of books on your, um, when you broke your leg. Uh, what book do you think everyone should read if they want to get ahead in life? Okay. Well, Think and Grow Rich is the classic, absolute classic. And one that you wouldn't necessarily think of is Born to Run. Um, have you read that? No, I haven't read that one. The stories are amazing and real and riveting. And you get a sense for that passion and drive that people have. And for me, it brings that to life. Like I was not a runner and I listened to that book and I did an ultra marathon. Wow. I had to, <laughs> um, but it, it just like, it really, it solidifies that part of having your vision and having something out there that's bigger than you to go conquer, you know? Um, so it's inspiring. The story is really inspiring. 
Uh, but from a practical, tactical, um, yeah, you, the 1932 classic, mm. Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I agree with that. What about the best bit of advice you've ever received? Um, best bit of advice. Well, I got this bit of parenting advice that I use in most of my relationships. <laughs> and it's, you don't have to pick every battle and you have to win the ones you pick. Out of the 140-odd guests I've had on here now, that's the first time I've heard that one. So sometimes there's a common theme and it's the same advice. Okay, on the flip side, what about the worst bit of advice or just something that you absolutely 100% disagree with? Oh, my gosh. I feel like there's way more of that. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, get a job. That's probably the worst. Like you should just get a job when I've had some times where I'm struggling a bit, just get a job. You know, it's easier that way. I'm like, no, no, that does not fit me. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, that's a very good uh, bit of advice. If you have big dreams, go out and chase them and um, yeah, go and get a job. He's not going to you know, connect you to your dreams. That's for sure. What about something you're passionate about that is, you know, out of what we've discussed today? Are you are a traveler, a fine diner. Like, what would you say that you're something that you just love doing? <laughs> okay, so where I spend my money when I'm celebrating, like a new client or something, I will get cold pressed organic juice. And I know this is a dorky thing, but even when I was living in my car. And sometimes I'd go to my parents' house and visit them like in the summertime. They had these catalogs and it was organic produce. And I was like, someday when I have money, I am going to order organic produce to my door. Mm -hmm. And so when I can go to Whole Foods and buy anything without thinking about the price, that's when I feel like it's luxury. And that's when I'm rich is when I can just go buy all the organic food that I want. Super basic. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's very, I mean, that's an important thing, being able to buy high quality products that you value. That's, that's important. What about this podcast is the One Shop Movement podcast where it's helping yeah. inspire people to live life with passion and purpose, helping people to understand that they only have one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot. You've been a great guest for this. What would you say to inspire somebody to go out there and take the most of their one shot? All right. So I'm on a mission to create 1 billion happy campers. I've developed this emotional intelligence education. We've reached over 2 million people so far. And some people have a million person mission. Some people want to impact their family. Whatever it is, it's that being connected with something bigger, even if it's somebody else's mission that you feel like you can contribute to, that's going to pull you towards your greatness and surround you with amazing people. It's like, I talk to my daughter about this all the time. Like what pulls you to your greatness? Do the people you surround yourself do that? You know, is it something that you're interested in that's just pulling you? And find the thing that pulls you because then on the days when you don't feel like doing it, you have something there. You've got the string that's like pulling you ahead into the future. And so, um, yeah, find that mission, join on to another mission that inspires you, 
whatever it is like that just pulls you into being a better person every day. Mm, very well said. And where do people find you? Uh, websites, Clubhouse, Instagram. You've got a uh, chance to sell what you're selling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm on Clubhouse. My handle is at ND for Nicole Donnelly. I am at Nicole Donnelly on Instagram. The emotional intelligence stuff for that mission, it's happycamper.world. And, um, you know, if you want some marketing help, that's at saltywaffle.com. I also like to have fun. You know, I like to have fun and that's one of my values. So the things that I'm involved with have to be fun. So if you come over to Happy Camper, Salty Waffle, you should have a good experience. Um, and yeah, reach out if you have any questions, comments, and please, please, please download the free poster at happycamper.world. And then you can start on your own joyful mission. And I would love to hear your results with that. Wow. Uh, from me, I want to thank you for taking the time for jumping on the One Shot Movement podcast. You're a perfect guest because you have reached great heights in both sport, both business um, and in life, as well as faced many challenges along your journey of entrepreneurship. And it is a journey and you've certainly been on one and want to thank you again and uh, wish you all the best making the most of your one shot at life. Thank you so much, Craig. Wow, what an inspiring story from Nicole Donnelly. Has reached the highs of professional athlete. Also had challenging times from living in her car for a number of years and then building a multi-million dollar company. Such an inspiring story. If you got value out of it, make sure that you share it with your social media. Give us feedback. It's important to be able to get great guests like Nicole. If you haven't got a copy of my book, you've got one shot. Head over to craigschultz.com and make sure sure you get your copy there. Also, while you're there, if you want to chat to me about how I can help you build a business or build your dream lifestyle, drop in and say good day and uh, we can have a chat there as well. Uh, at the end of every episode, I always say you've got one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot, whatever that is for you. My name's Craig Schultz. I'm the host of the One Shot Movement podcast.